an opportunity to sit down and journal out every moment of a day, we might be absolutely shocked at how many things we do that really don't make a difference. And there's little things we do that the cumulative impact do make a difference, like brushing your teeth. Now, if you miss your teeth brushing and you brush your teeth three times a day, which I hope you do, if you miss it once, it may not make that big of a difference. Unless it's date night, then it might make a difference. But over the course of a lifetime, those little things do make a big difference, don't they? But we spend so much time doing so many things that really just don't matter. But I want to share with you three things right now that do matter and that will make a difference in your life or in the life of someone else. And we're going to look at and think about our responsibility as children of God to be the salt of the earth. Does salt make a difference? Well, it depends on what you're eating. Do you put salt on your watermelon? Did you know some people don't do that? Did you know there are some people who have never heard of that? Do, do, you, do you put salt on, on your cantaloupe? Do you put salt on your tomatoes? It makes a difference, doesn't it? Well, that's what the Lord said we are to be. We are to be the salt of the earth. We are to make a difference. He also said that you're to be the light of the world. Well, if you turn the lights off, does it make a difference? It makes a difference, doesn't it? So as Christians, I have this very simple teaching of Jesus that has a profound impact on my life. I, I am to be a person who lives my life in such a way so as to be a difference maker. Now, the first point, and here's where the similarity with last week begins, the first point is to, to share your faith with someone. Now, when, when I say that, I want, us to, I want us to simplify this a bit because this is not about, and we, we, we began this series several months ago on why we believe certain things. And the purpose of that really was to equip ourselves so as to be able to answer questions when people ask questions about the Bible. We want to be able to give an answer. We want to be able to defend the hope that is within us. And that verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, when you think about it, it, it's somewhat evangelistic, but not in the traditional manner. In other words, we are not all evangelists. We're, we're not all preachers. But if we've been exposed to the truth and if we've studied the Bible, then that scripture that we have read, that we have studied, this revelation of the mind of God should make a difference in our life. It should build our faith so that we, in turn, can help build the faith of others. So when I say share your faith with someone, I'm just talking about having a discussion about the hope that is within you. How is it that, that in a world that sometimes seems like it's just going crazy, that you seem to be unaffected. Well, that doesn't mean I have to quote immediately Acts chapter 2 on, on baptism and why you need to be baptized, or I, I need to go to a verse that talks about partaking the Lord's Supper on the first day of every week. Maybe I can just say, well, I'm not of this world. Jesus taught me, the, my Lord taught me that I'm not of this world. He, the Bible tells me, I believe the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? I believe that the Bible says to set your mind on things above. 
So I'm not going to lose sleep about interest rates. I'm not going to lose sleep if, if the stock market tanks, if there's war in another part of the world, like that's the first time that's ever happened. I'm not going to be upset if there's a bad administration, if, if income tax rates happen to go up. I'm going to be okay because I live, I live at a different level. There's something different in my life. Those, those are the points of contact that we can have in our lives where we just enter these, these simple conversations with a view toward leading somebody to, to Jesus. And, and I quote John chapter 1 here because that's what we see. You notice there's no programs, there's no social gospel, there's no gymnasium, there's no fellowship hall, there's, there's not these efforts that take place of this grand magnitude that are going to lead people into the, to an opportunity to study. It's just conversations that are taking place. In John chapter 1 and verse 35, the next day John was standing, John the Immerser, John the Baptist, with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. That was pretty simple, wasn't it? This is Jesus. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and, and saw them following. He said, What do you seek? They said, Rabbi, which translated means teachers, where are you staying? It's just a conversation. And then you'll notice later in the, the conversation, if you drop down to verse 40 again, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And then he brought him to Jesus. Verse 44, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now again, I realize I'm, I'm simplifying things here, but what I want you to see again is that as far as sharing your faith with someone, it's just talking to people. And, and, and it's not something that requires necessarily a tremendous amount of preparation. Do you think every one of these persons here had, had been to the School of Interpersonal Relationship Training? Do you think they were excellent when it came to, to knowing how to convince and how to persuade? No, they just, they had something in their heart called faith that came out in conversation. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, we, we see again that, that simple pattern of evangelism, and I've referred to this many times, but again, where, where's the big program? You don't see it. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, the things, that, that from the, excuse me, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, it's each one teaching one. That's what was taking place in John chapter 1. And then I, I reference Romans chapter 10, verse 17, because Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. You hear the Word of God. Well, you can read it yourself. You can come to have faith in Jesus. You can come to have faith in God. You can come to have faith in the inspiration of the Scriptures. And then the way you communicate that faith is just through speech. It's through the spoken Word. It's through the written Word. But you can have conversations. 
it may or may not ever go anywhere. But when someone asks you a question and you give a reason for the hope that is in you in a very simple way, you share your faith with someone else. And what a difference. That's going to make a difference in your life. You're going to feel better about the person in the window, in the mirror. You're going to look you're going to feel better about the person looking back at you from the mirror because you've done something good. And you may, you may just very well make a difference in another person's life that could lead to eternal life. Share your faith with someone. The second thing is to be a shepherd to a flock. Now let's take this out of the realm of the local church. We understand that there's an organization that we read about in the New Testament, the local church, there are to be shepherds or, or, or uh, pastors, there are to be deacons, and we have members, and then we have people that teach and preach God's Word. There, there's a scriptural organization, and we talked last week about how that can, that can be corrupted, but let's, let's take our minds out now of the local church, and let's go into the world. What is a shepherd? A shepherd is someone who leads. Leads what? People that he cares about. That's what a shepherd is. It's, it's someone who understands that there is a responsibility to do certain things that are for the benefit of others. And, and, and shepherding in your world might mean your family, it might mean your children, it might mean your, your spouse, it, it might be in your neighborhood. It might be, mean a, 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 a group that you belong to, a club. It, it might mean your neighbors. It could be, mean your business. It could mean your fellow employees. It could mean so many different things. But imagine yourself as one who is in a world of opportunity insofar as being able to lead and shepherd others. Back in 1997, I began another phase of my life as the CEO of a company. And we had about 25 or 30 in our office and 150 employees spread throughout. But I'm, a, I'm an accountant. I want to deal with numbers. I like numbers. You know I like numbers? His numbers do what I tell them to do. And they don't change. They're consistent. They always show up for work. You don't have to have any people skills. You know, data is data. But I realized very early on in this position, as easy as it was for me to gravitate toward the numbers, if, if I'm going to have any influence, and if this thing's going to go anywhere, if it's going to go from good to great, I'm going to have to start focusing on the data, and I'm going to have to start focusing on the people. Stop focusing on the data and start focusing on the people. I need to get out of my comfort zone and be a leader. And, and that's not always easy, but I knew that that was the key to success as far as leadership was concerned. Now, let's go to a place you may not have expected to go. You're, you're familiar with the 23rd Psalm. It's a psalm that's often read at, at funerals. And it's about a shepherd's, that is David, it's about his relationship with God. 
And he wasn't seeing himself as a shepherd, even though he knew what it meant to be a shepherd because he spent much of his life in that capacity. He, he was thinking about that metaphor, that position in his life, and then he was applying it to the relationship that he had with, with God. Now, the reason I want to go here is, is because I want to see in my life a godlike character. So if I'm going to be like God, if I'm going to have an influence upon others, I am the light of the world, what Jesus said. If I'm going to be a difference maker, then I need to think more like God thinks about certain things. Well, here he states in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will not be in any need because of this shepherd who is in my life. If you want to be a leader in your family, if you want to be a leader at home, if you want to be a leader at the workplace, look for needs. Look, look for opportunities to meet needs. And then meet those needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He takes me where I want to go. He takes me where I need to go. He nourishes me. He, he sustains me. I want to be that to others. I want to be that difference maker in the lives of other people. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of, of righteousness for his name's sake. He's helping me to go in the right direction. At the workplace, you can be that difference maker. You can be that person who sees the individual who is really struggling. And people have a hard time. You know, not everybody has a poker face. Some people just, you, they read like a book. And you know when they're struggling. Well, what are you going to what are you going to do? Just just distance yourself from that person? Well, I'm an introvert. I, I don't I don't want to get involved. Give me some data. I'll deal with that. No, no, no. It, it, you got to change the way you think if you want to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Be a shepherd to a flock. Ronnie mentioned John chapter ten, verse ten earlier. Let's let's go to that place. And let's read what Jesus said about himself as being the good shepherd. And, and let's think again about the roles that we play in everyday life. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Who's he thinking about? He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about others. He who is a hired hand who's only there for the money and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, and he's not concerned about the sheep. Who are you at the workplace? Who are you and your family? Are you the one who's thinking only about you? Or are you thinking about other people? I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. That sounds like relationships, doesn't it? Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's a good model, a good role model to follow, is it not? And then I even think about the qualifications of 
shepherds, elders in a local church, and not everyone's going to serve in that capacity, but if, if you see the, the, the need to be a difference maker in the world, then develop qualities that are going to enable you to be that person. And note also, I'll make an application of this in Titus 1 verse 5. Paul left Titus on the island of Crete that you had set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. In other words, there's something missing here. Well, in your world, there's something missing. There's leadership. A leadership vacuum. You can fill that vacuum. You can be that person. Somebody who's above reproach. Just, just think about not being perfect, but if you make a mistake, own up to it. If, if you do something you shouldn't do, apologize. Say, I'm sorry. People love humans. Have you ever thought about that? People love humans. Humans make mistakes. That's good leadership. Verse 7, above reproach is God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered. I won't read the rest of it. But these are qualities that you can develop, and they're relative in nature. Look for that in the Bible, not just in the qualifications of elders, but other spiritual attributes or qualifications that will allow you to be a shepherd someplace in life to a flock. Here's another place, 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's look at it. It is about elders, but let's take it out into the world. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a protector also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the, fl the flock of God among you. Within your sphere of influence, be a, be a difference maker. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion. It's not like something you have to do, but voluntarily. Do it because you want to do it according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Who's the shepherd who does it for sordid gain? gain. That's a hired hand. That's a person who's there only for the money. Be the person who's there for the opportunity to influence the lives of others. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples. Be an example to others. Be the salt. Be the light. And then finally, if you want to be a difference maker, touch someone who is sick with sin. Matthew chapter 8, one of the most touching, I believe, scenes in the life of Jesus is the miracle that he performed on the leper. It's hard for us to relate to the the disease of, of leprosy. It was the worst possible disease. The best possible outcome was to die as soon as possible because your skin was literally rotting. Your flesh was literally rotting off your body. Nobody wanted to go near a leper. Nobody would touch a leper. This is where social distancing began. Leper colonies were formed. Get me as far as possible. Oh, and it was, it was highly contagious. And it was hideous to see somebody with leprosy. Well, a leper came to him, that is Jesus, and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. 
And Jesus did something that was shocking to everyone present. Many people had never seen this before. He stretched out his hand and he touched it. We can't relate to that in any way. But had we been there, that would have made an indelible impression on our minds. We would never have forgotten that scene of this carpenter's son reaching out and touching a person who may not have been touched for years. This may have been the first human touch that leper experienced forever. And he said, I am willing. And he was cleansed. And immediately his, his leprosy was cleansed. Well, there are people who are sick with sin. They have removed themselves from the fellowship of God because of their sin. What can you do? You can reach out and you can touch them. You can let them know that you're there. Nobody else may care. They may be so far away that in the eyes and the minds of many, it's a hopeless situation. There's no way this person is ever going to be healed. But you can touch them. James said in James chapter 5 and verse 19, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Wow, you talk about making a difference in someone's life. And that's something that you can do. That's something that you can do to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That is one thing you can do this week in addition to the other two. It's three things that'll make a difference. These are the two verses I quoted last week. First, Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to go back to these in verse 19. I didn't read this one, and I realized later, man, I should have slowed down and read that. The Apostle Paul, his life was given. His life was given to these three things. Sharing his faith, being an example, being an influence, seeking to turn people to the truth and to touch people who were sick with sin. And why did he do it? Why, why was it that he had so much patience with people that most of us would not have taken the time to continue to work with them? This is why. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19. Who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation. Is it not even you in the presence of her Lord Jesus and his coming? For you are our glory and joy. That's why he did it. That's why he stayed the course. That's why he kept fighting the good fight. It's, it's because he wanted the people in his life to be in, in eternity, in heaven with him. He wanted to find himself someday surrounded by people that he knew here with whom he would be throughout all eternity. Find someone 
that nobody else will touch. And you touch them. You touch them. We urge you, brethren, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and just be patient with everyone. I added the just. Be patient with everyone. Be a difference maker. Be that person. Blessings yours. If you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, we're going to sing a song now, number 907. Hark the gentle voice. There is a voice that is called. It's an invitation. It's going to be our voices in the singing of this song for those who have never obeyed the gospel. It's an invitation to, to come forward, to confess your faith, to repent of your sins, and then to be baptized, to have those sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. But the voice that's really calling is the voice of God. And the voice of God has spoken. In the shedding of His Son's blood on the cross. And what that voice said was, I love you. I love you more than my own son. I'm sacrificing him so you can have eternal life. That voice is the voice that speaks. Will you listen? Will you hark and hear the voice that's calling? Please come as we stand and say. Oh,